Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for those who are joining online this morning from home. Thank you guys for being here. I, gotta, I just got to shout out somebody. My friend Peggy Coker is here today. And if you know Peggy, say hello to Peggy. Give her a hand. Peggy, I've missed you deeply, and it is really, really great to see you. Thank you for coming this morning. Hey, church, we're beginning a new series uh, today, and it's just like a, a three-weeker. We're just going to knock it out quick. We've had some long studies throughout the fall, and we're almost... To, is anybody listening to Christmas music yet? Good for you and you, and I didn't see anyone over here yet. You put your hand down. I am, and we're almost there, but there's some things we want to talk about before we get there together. So uh, we're calling the series Isms, but they're good isms. They're not like Marxism and communism and socialism and ageism and sexism and all the isms that lead to schisms. We're not going to go there right now. We've actually talked about those things quite a bit, but we're going to talk about three words that end in ism that we practice and we cherish as a church. We're going to talk about baptism, volunteerism, and evangelism. And Dustin wanted me to do a fourth week and talk about the Lord's Supper, but all we could come up with with was communionism. And communionism just, I felt like it'd be a bad sell to you and cause a lot of confusion. So we'll do that another day. But we're going to look at these three things, baptism, volunteerism, and evangelism, and really kind of paint this as a framework for understanding these three things and for uh, understanding why we cherish them and embrace them so deeply as a church. Today we're going to start with baptism, and I'm going to talk about baptism today, but next week we're going to do baptism because we've got a few people who've said that they desire to be baptized right now. And, uh, and I, I believe that there may be some more of you here today who want to join them next week as we begin to unpack God's Word and what it has to tell us or show us about baptism. But baptism is this once-in-a-lifetime expression that the, the Christian does where they publicly declare fidelity and faith in Jesus Christ. It's a thing that we do in obedience to Jesus' call, His command in the Great Commission that His people would be people who go around discipling and baptizing each other. And it's the, this moment where we come and we declare publicly that I have surrendered my entire life to Jesus Christ. I, I, I honor Him as King and Lord of my life. That's what we're looking at at baptism. And I want to dig down underneath the importance of baptism and help us to grow an appreciation of why we practice it the way we do. So grab your Bible, turn in the Gospels. We'll be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3 today. First time you haven't been in Titus in a long time. So Matthew in the Gospels, chapter 3, is where we are. And I want you to hear this as we get rolling this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' baptism and what it implies about our baptism. But I want you to understand that we very firmly believe there is, it is not a magical practice to be baptized. No one becomes saved because they got into some water and got out of some water, or because they got in water, they don't come up leveled up in spiritual maturity just because they jumped in and and jumped out. That's not what we believe. Baptism isn't a magical practice, but it is a magnificent picture of what God is doing inside a person's life and, and what he's done in your life. When you go down into the water and you come out again, you're declaring some things. There are a number of things that are being communicated by this act that's being done in front of your faith family. And so listen to what we see here about Jesus' baptism because it gives us a lot of clues and hints about what our practice of baptism is all about. Listen, starting in verse 13 of Matthew 3. 
It says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, No, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, You have to permit it at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I love this scene. There's a lot of reasons I love this scene. But Jesus comes to where John, John the Baptist, is baptizing people. And the reason John's doing this is because God has sent him to do this. God has sent John to prepare the way for Jesus. And so John is going around calling out to people, get ready, Jesus is coming soon. Repent, wash your spiritual sleepiness away, and start looking. He's on his way for us. And John was baptizing people in accordance with this. And Jesus shows up and Jesus says, here, I'm I'm here to be baptized, John. And John says, well, no, no, you have to baptize me. And and Jesus says, no, you have to baptize me. And John says, no, you have to baptize me. And And it's back and forth. And they're just staring and pointing at each other for a minute. And so then they played rock, paper, scissors and decided that's not in the text. Then Jesus said something that stopped the conversation. And it says that John permitted this to happen. And, and what did he say? He said something that's very interesting. Jesus said, permit it at this time. I know you're uncomfortable with this, but you must permit it at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Which is a strange statement because Jesus didn't need to become righteous. He was already righteous for all time. And the water certainly, this is just to kind of prove the point, there's no magic in the water. The water certainly wasn't going to change anything about the nature of who Jesus was. The water baptism was simply a symbol. It was a sign. It was declaring something. And what Jesus was saying with his baptism is, I'm here, and because I have come and I am doing this thing, this act will take on a a different and a new meaning from what it has had before. It's different from what you are doing, John. And John, we call him John the Baptist, but he wasn't the one who invented baptism. Uh, Judaism had a a deep practice of baptism for a very, very long time. They had multiple reasons that they would baptize. They would baptize people in accordance with cleansing rituals. They would baptize when a a Gentile turned or converted to the Jewish faith. They would baptize them saying, this person is now all in with our religion. Jews weren't the only ones who baptized. Many pagan cultures and sects would baptize. Greco-Oriental mysteries involved, uh, included baptism in some of their rituals. And John, when he was baptizing, said this about it in, in verse 11, if you look at there. He said, as for me, this is how I'm performing baptism. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier. Somebody say mightier mightier than I, and I am not fit even to remove his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John's baptism is reflective of that that Jewish practice of baptism. It was a baptism that said, I am washing off the spiritual sleepiness. I am readying myself, and it's in accordance with repentance. It's with turning towards the coming Messiah, who is Jesus. Or in other words, John's baptism was a baptism of expectation. Say expectation. It's a baptism of expectation. 
But when Jesus arrives, he comes up to John and he's declaring something new here. He says, permit it, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying, I'm doing this thing and it's taking on a new meaning. No longer is this baptism about expectation, but it's about consummation. It's about something being satisfied or finalized or completed, or Jesus' own word is fulfilled. It's fitting for this to happen because that expectation is being fulfilled because I'm here. That's what Jesus says with this baptism. He declares the whole gospel that God would meet the deepest needs. He would fulfill the deepest longings. He would satisfy all of the deepest things within our souls with the coming of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus comes, he, he comes before baptism, before John and these, and he's declaring several layers of meaning as he's put into the water and come out of the water that both signify some things about him and hint towards our baptism and point out some things about who we are when we are united with him. And so I want you to, to hear these things and grow in appreciation of them. I want to lay them out very simply today. I mean, this is like 101. I almost called the series basic because we're going to just basically understand what baptism is. And the first thing that baptism is, it's about identification. It's a declaration of identification. What happens when Jesus comes and it goes down into the water and comes back out of the water? Look at verse 16. And behold, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descending as a dove was lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens cries out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's a declaration of identification. How often do we get this, this audible voice of God speaking saying, look everybody, and it's calling out, this is my son, this is the Messiah, this is the one that you have been longing for and waiting for your whole life, this is the guy, his identity is what's being declared. But it's not just Jesus' identity, uh, just who he is and that's it, it's who he is in relation to who we are. You see that? Because Jesus' baptism wasn't like everyone else's. Everyone else was coming and they were repenting of sins. They were repenting of going their own way. But Jesus wasn't repenting of sins with his baptism. It wasn't about that. He was identifying with all those who come repenting of sins. He was there identifying with sinners. He's saying, these are my people. The people who come repenting, who come turning from, from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, who come to me for healing and hope and life, these are my people. I am their Messiah. I am their Savior. I am their leader. I am their King. And I can come where they can't go. I can stand when the judgment of God comes and they cannot. They cannot be on their feet when God comes close, but I can I am their king. Not only am I he, I am he for them, is what Jesus says. It's a declaration of identification. And Jesus would, would later say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the what? Life. And here at this moment of his baptism, Jesus is beginning to point the way towards that. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at this. I am the one that you have been waiting for, and I have come for you. Come to me. And so this moment of Jesus' baptism is a moment where it's declared, 
This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the only one who brings healing for the kind of brokenness that we all experience. And it's come for us. He's come to answer the deepest needs of our lives. And when a Christian is baptized, there's a very similar meaning. When next week you see some people come and get in water and get out of water, they're not saying that they are the Savior, but they are saying, I have been saved. They are saying, he is my king. Jesus was baptized to say, these are my people. And we're baptized to say, I belong to him. All of me, from head to toe, we're identifying with Jesus. We're saying, I'm no longer my king. No one else is my king. My allegiance, my fidelity, my faith stands in Christ alone. And now, think about this. When God the Father looks down upon the Christian... Now he doesn't just see the one person who is separated from him by sin. He doesn't see the one person who is full of insecurity and feeling like they have to prove themselves and they never seem to get it right. Now they're seeing that person, though uniquely linked to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, he no longer sees this sinful, broken person separated by a sea. He now sees this person and sees Jesus right there with them and says, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased And so is that. When Jesus comes to live with us, when he comes to embody us, when it no longer is I who live but Christ lives in me, the Father looks down upon and says, those are my children, my sons and my daughters in whom I am well pleased. And baptism is this moment that declares what Jesus has done has bridged the gap between me and God. What Jesus has done has taken a separated from God, broken, lost person and made this person found, made this person alive. It's a moment where we, in an act of obedience, declare, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done to restore all that my soul has needed. That's baptism. And water baptism is a sign and a declaration of that. Identification, that's the first thing baptism is about. Second thing it's about, basic, 101 class, ready? Second thing it's about submission. Baptism is about identification. It's also about submission. I I remember seeing a, a, a comic strip in a ministry magazine. Yes, there are ministry magazines, and very few people get them. But um, there are ministry magazines, and I remember seeing a few years ago uh, a comic strip, and it was three panes, if you can imagine this. I wish I'd kept it. I could have showed it to you today. Three panes. In the first pane, there's a guy standing in the water to be baptized with the, the preacher, the pastor right next to him, and he's speaking. The word bubble says, okay, pastor, let me make sure I've got this right. When I go down into the water, everything that goes into the water belongs to God, right? Second pain comes over, and the pastor's looking at the guy, and he says, yes, sir, you've got it right. The third pain, he goes over, and you see the guy has been plunged down into the water, and all of him is in the water except for one arm that's sticking up out of the water, holding onto his wallet. (laughs) And it's funny because it, it hits the nail a little too much on the head, right? Because that's how a lot of us look at and view life in Christ. It's like we're in, but not all the way in. It's like we're in, except God, I've got just a couple of things where I have an idea about how life should be or about what I want, and I'm concerned if it goes into the water that you're going to have control of it, and I won't have it the way I want it anymore, so I'm just going to hang on to this right here. I want you to, to notice this. When, when Jesus was baptized, Jesus comes 
And he is the king, right? He comes, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the savior. There's another account of this story in the gospel of John where when Jesus comes, and remember, Jesus and John were cousins. We don't know how much time they they spent interacting as as kids and growing up. But when Jesus comes, John sees something in Jesus' face that maybe he's never seen before because John cries out. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he knows He knows God had revealed something to him about Jesus. He says, this is the one I was talking about. Back in verse 11 when he says, I baptize for this, but one who comes after me is mightier than I. Jesus is the mightier than I one that John was talking about. And Jesus comes, the eternal son of God, the Messiah long-awaited one, the one who is mightier than John, the one who is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what does he do? He comes and he submits himself to John's baptism. And it's not just coming to submit to to John, to another person, to lay the path of going low, coming under people. It's not just the submission to this act of being baptized and getting in water and getting out of water, but it is a submission to fulfill the will of God with his life. And Jesus said this in John chapter 6, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, not to just look at the world and do whatever I, I see fit in any given moment. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. And I want you to understand this very clearly that, that the Father God did not force Jesus into submission. He did not put some kind of divine pressure on another part of the, the one God, on, on the Trinity and the Son of God. He did not force him into submission to do his will, but Jesus has complete fidelity, faithfulness, honor, respect, love for his Father. And so he chooses submission. He desires Submission. Philippians 2 elaborates on this. It says that Jesus emptied himself. No one stripped him of anything. Jesus emptied himself of rights, of glory, of privileges. He even held back his powers in some ways. He emptied himself. He submitted himself not only to the Father's will, but he submitted himself to us, even to the point of death and death on a cross for us. So as, as Jesus' baptism, as much as it was about identifying with us, I have come for those who repent, who turn to me. I claim them as mine. I am their king. I am I'm theirs. As much as it was about identifying with us, it was also about submission. It was about submission, full submission to the will of God for his life and full submission of giving his life for the sake of sinners. And there's meaning like that for us too when we're baptized. Do you know that? When we're baptized, we are submitting to the call of Jesus and the Great Commission that we would go and, and be baptized. It's the first step of obedience that the believer takes when they trust in Jesus. And Jesus says people, when they turn to him by faith, they, they, they come under the water and are baptized. And as Jesus' baptism was a, a a declaration of submission to the will of the Father. Our baptism is a declaration of our submission and our, our fidelity to walk with Jesus as our King. And so this, dec- this declaration is being made as we're submersed and pulled out of the water. 
And, and by the way, the reason that we do it the way that we do it, the reason we practice putting like the full slam dunk is, is multifaceted. For one, that's what we find in the example of the early church in the New Testament. That's the way it was practiced there. The Greek word for baptism indicates that that is what's done. But there's even this metaphorical meaning where every bit of me, head to toe, is with the person, the work of Jesus. I'm with him I'm with the new identity he gives me with him. I'm with his purpose. I'm with his plan. All of me is in. No arm is sticking out of the water, holding on to a part of my life. All of me comes under submission to him. And I want you to see this, that, that Jesus, when he comes to be baptized, he says, I am with these people. I am under God's will. I will put myself in the ground for these people. And when we are baptized, we're declaring very much the same thing. I am under God's plan. I am with Jesus, and I'm here for his purposes. So identification, submission, and the third thing that baptism declares or communicates is commission. It's the word commission. Jesus' baptism was the public act that launched his public ministry that led to his very public death on the cross for humanity. And Jesus, when he went to John at the Jordan River, he knew exactly where this, head, this thing was headed. Like he went in the water, he came out of the water, and everything from that moment forward for three and a half years was headed towards the cross. He knew what this water signified. It was the commissioning service. It was the inauguration experience of Jesus in his ministry opened up into the world that would lead to his death on a cross. And so Jesus, when he came to the water, he was coming with a heart of commitment, a commitment to fulfill the plan he was sent for, a commitment to fulfill it all the way through his death and resurrection. And when we are baptized, when a Christian is baptized, that same commissioning is taking place. He was baptized showing his commitment, being commissioned to carry out all that his life was to carry out in his time on earth. And when a Christian is baptized, we are being commissioned to walk in the newness of life with him, to live the, the Christian life in all of the days that we have until he returns or until we, we die and get to, to celebrate our full salvation in that way, right? With no more tears and no more pain. So we in the Christian life, we maintain that Jesus is our king. We're being commissioned to that in our baptism, that I will never turn to another king in my life and I will not try to wear the crown myself in the Christian life Jesus is king, and in the Christian life, we declare that we will follow the example of Jesus Christ by going low in humble service, because we know, looked at this a few weeks ago, that we are most like Jesus when we serve, and the low way is the right way, it's the way of our king. In the Christian life, we are told that we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that, that we give our lives making the appeal to others that they would come and turn to Jesus, that they would be reconciled to God and find life in Jesus Christ. Our whole life is turned towards this. And in the Christian life, we find that we're not lone rangers. We sang a song that talked about being born again. You're born again, you're born into a family. And that family is the church and so we don't go about life not belonging. We don't go about life not knowing who we are. We don't go about life just taking care of ourselves. No, we have a family that we've been born into, and we bear one another's burdens. 
And we instruct one another, we love one another, we care for one another, we stir one another up to love and good deeds, declaring and demonstrating the gospel in this world until Jesus returns. And our baptism, just like Jesus's, was this moment of, of commissioning to this life that he would live under the will and plan of God for the people he came to save. When we go into the water and come out, it's much the same thing. It's saying, I am committed to these things. And every day I walk on this planet, I'm committed to honoring the Lord of my life and walking in the newness of life. Romans 6 gives us language for this. Romans 6 verse 4 says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What this says is that salvation, and, and listen, hear this clearly, salvation isn't just being saved from some things, but it's also being saved to some things. Do you follow me there? Because a lot of times we think about salvation simply as being saved from this life of darkness or this life of, of emptiness or this life of, of brokenness or just being saved from the old life. And then we go on our merry way without realizing how much salvation is also saving us to something more beautiful and powerful and, and potent and glorious than that life apart from Christ. We're being saved from something and to something. And Paul in Romans says that something, he calls it walking in the newness of life. And this is a, a theological truth that when you come to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are spiritually buried and raised again to walk on the newness of life. And when you are baptized, it is a practical act that demonstrates that theological truth. That your life, the way you viewed life, the way you did life, the way you approached problems, the way you saw yourself when you looked in the mirror, all of that died. It was buried and you were raised to walk in a new way in this life. And that way is a commissioning to walk in, in the will and the purposes of God for your life. And by the way, that's not bad news, that's really good news because the Bible calls it abundant life. Or in other words, being made finally fully, fully alive. Okay, that's three things so far. We said identification. What did we say? We said, uh, what was the second one? Submission, and then we said commission. Whew, I'm taking notes here. Fourth thing is celebration. Baptism is about celebration. How do we know this? Well, when Jesus went down into the water and came out, what happened? Well, we read it just like five minutes ago, somebody. What happened when Jesus came out of the water? God speaks out from the heavens in an audible way. How often does that happen in life, right? The voice of God is heard. God who cannot be heard is heard. And not only that, the God, the Holy Spirit, who we call the invisible God, says, no, that's not good enough today. Today I will take on form and be seen the Trinity is celebrating. It is a party, and God three in one wants to be seen and heard at this party. It's a celebration of Jesus. It's a celebration of his faithfulness. It's a celebration of his glory. It's a celebration that he would wear humility. It's a celebration that he would come and bring hope and bring healing and bring life to the world who so desperately needed it. It's a big stinking party. 
Jesus' baptism is a celebration of the gospel. And when a Christian is baptized, it is exactly the same thing. It's not like a metaphor. Oh, you know, it's kind of like, no, it is a celebration of the gospel that Jesus has come, that God the Son left heaven and came to earth. He left timelessness to enter time. He left glory and put on humility, and he did so that we who are so full of, of emptiness and brokenness could find healing and hope and life in his name. We're baptized to celebrate it. Verse 5 of, of that Romans 6. Let me pick up back there again. It said, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Should we celebrate that? Amen. In order that our body of sin might, not, might be done away with so that we would be slaves no more. For he who has died is freed from sin. Hallelujah. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we not are just saved from some stuff, but we are saved to some stuff. We now live with him, sons and daughters of the living God. When he looks down upon us, it's a celebration of his pleasure when he looks upon us. Because God's great pleasure in our life isn't found by our accumulation or our best efforts or our ambitions in life realized. No, God's pleasure is found in us only when we repent and turn to Jesus and find life, life abundant in him. And so when we come to baptism, it is a celebration statement. All of these things are, are statements, the declarations of life in Christ. What a, a powerful, beautiful, and exciting way to declare what God has done in your life. All of this is given as a symbol when you go into the water and come out. Jesus was baptized, signifying his relationship offered to you, and you're baptized, symbolizing and signifying your relationship received from him. It's you saying from head to toe, every bit of me is with Jesus. Who he is, his purpose, his plan for my life, no arms sticking out of the water holding on to my watch or my wallet or some other thing. I belong to Jesus Christ. Now, many of you have done this. You have, you've been baptized. You've had a moment in your life where you turned to Christ and, and you jumped in the water. If you want to have fun uh, this afternoon, Google funny baptisms. I got lost in, in a, a trap of it this week. I watched one kid run and like no one saw it coming. He cannonballed right in front of the pastor. Water shot out everywhere and he came out and then he turned around right before he was going to get out and he just did it again and it was amazing. Like you can get absolutely lost in it. Some of you, you didn't cannonball, maybe you did, but if you've been baptized before, my only hope this morning for you is that there's a fresh joy in the meaning of your baptism. Even if at the moment of your baptism, you didn't fully, you weren't fully cog cognizant of all four of these things, that today your commitment or your confession of your soul would resound with these four things that we've just seen in Jesus' baptism and in ours. I hope that's an encouragement that fans the flame of your life in Christ. Now, some of you here are Christians. You have walked with Jesus for a long time. You have you've grown in him spiritually. You have been buried and raised. You cling to him. And we see the fruit of the Spirit working and growing in, in your life. You are a Christian, but you haven't been baptized before. And I want you to hear, like, 
hallelujah, you've been saved, and reminds you that there's no magic in the water, that, that, that there's no magic in the practice, but it's a magnificent picture of what God has done in your life. And so if you are a Christian, no matter how long, and you haven't been baptized, I want to invite you next week to join us and, and cannonball into the water or, you know, swan dive or whatever you want to do. It's not that deep, so I wouldn't probably go head first. Um, <laughs> I've heard people say to me uh, who have been a, a Christian for a while, walking with Christ but never been baptized, say, you know, I feel like I waited too long. And I don't know, maybe that's you. I've heard people say, it's kind of like if you, if you meet somebody and you don't get their name, you leave, you go, ah, oh, what was their name? And then you see them again and again, four or five times you've run into this person, but you never knew their name. And the point in time comes, you go, I can't ask. <laughs> it's just awkward now. And I've heard people describe it that way, that like I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, and I just never did that thing. And now I feel like I missed my moment. Well, I would only say to you this, Remember, Jesus was nearly 30 when he was baptized, and him having a relationship of intimacy with the Father was not a new thing. It was eternal, and, and certainly Jesus had no confusion before about who he was. He wasn't a new person when he got in the water. He already was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and the Messiah come, but there was a moment, there was a moment to declare it because it honored the Father, and it declared something to other people. So, if that's you, I just would ask you to consider today, maybe, maybe now is a time for you. To, to be baptized. And it could be an incredibly meaningful moment for you. I've, I've had other people say to me, Kevin, I, you know, I am a Christian. I go, I absolutely know it. I see it in your life. And they say, but I was baptized as a baby, as an infant, as a part of my faith community, my faith family. And I, if that's you, I want, want you to hear this. I think it's incredibly meaningful and beautiful that that happened. That there was a faith family and a faith community around you in your earliest days who said, we want you to have a personal encounter with Jesus and we want to point you in the direction of that. It's an incredible moment for a family. And in some ways is, is very similar to John's baptism where he said this is a baptism of anticipation and expectation is really what's being said. We're expecting you to go and walk with Jesus, walk in the way of the Lord. And we anticipate that for you. And I would only encourage you, this isn't like, like it must be done, there's no magic in the water, to maybe consider your baptism not only one of expectation, but also one of, of consummation, of that, that desire that your family and your faith family had for you in your earliest days, that it was fulfilled in your life, to be a beautiful story that not only declares the work that God has done inside your life to fulfill that longing, but also to declare to others uh, what Jesus has done, that he might, they might hear that message and turn to him as well. I've also had people say to me, okay, look, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe the gospel, I, I'm all the way in with that, but I feel like I need to take some classes or something, like go to seminary, do some Bible studies before I'm baptized, it just feels like this big thing. And I would say to you that, that baptism, as we see in the Bible, is really this first act of obedience when a person turns to Jesus. It's, it's the foundational message that we fall back on, not a message that we strive towards to find someday in our life. And you don't have to look hard. You can look in Acts 2 at Pentecost, or you can look at Acts 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch to see the example of people when they first come to the basic dependence or, or belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, say, where's the water? Let's go. And so if that's you then I want to invite you next week to jump in the water with us when we're baptizing here in this room.
Now, there's three groups really here. There's a group who have been baptized, those who are Christians and haven't, and then there are also some here who are not Christians. It's you, you've come and you have not come to a moment of where you've turned to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for life and for salvation. And if that is you, I just want to say thank you for being here. I think it's incredible that you're sharing this moment with us, and I'm so honored that you would be a part of, of our church this morning. Um, and I want to lay out the gospel as simple and clear as I possibly can. And it goes like this. I'm going to show you on the screen. God created humanity to enjoy him. But, number two, we tend to think we don't need God to enjoy life. I'm saying that confessionally. I didn't read that in a book. I'm just telling you how my life has gone. God created us to enjoy life in him, but we tend to think that we don't need God to enjoy life. And every one of us begin in that place. Every one of us begin there, and some of us take a little time there, and some of us take a very long time trying to discover who we are, what life is really about, and what we're here to do. The problem, the problem is that we don't know everything, right? We don't have all of the answers. We're not perfect. And because of that, we can't find the answers on our own. And so what we find is that if left on our own, we never experience real truth, real grace, real love. We never really solve the identity question and we go through our entire life trying to curate some identity that we think is enough. Who's it enough for? I don't know if it's for me or for you or for God. We're trying to prove that we're enough. And if left on our own, I truly believe this in the deepest place of my soul, we become stuck. We become stuck in the brokenness of this world that has no answers that compete with the gospel. It can give you none. And we get stuck in our own lives of brokenness, stuck with the things that sit there that we can't seem to work out on our own. But God doesn't leave us like this. God doesn't leave us like this. Jesus came to earth to rescue us from our sin and from our inability. He came that we might experience real life, truth, grace, a new identity, a new purpose, a new community, and a new vitality. That's the gospel. And so if you're here today and, and maybe you have thought about these things or, or you've put very little thought to these things, I just want you to hear the basics. The basics are that God created you to enjoy him. Every one of us think that we can get enjoyment without him but we're limited. We can't figure it all out. We struggle with it our entire life. God would not leave us that way. Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. Can I pray with you? Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to read and learn from the, the beautiful and mighty works of God throughout time. Jesus we thank you that you left eternity to enter time and we thank you that you came not for your pleasure but for, for God's glory and for our good. And I pray that we would understand even your, your, your act of submission to baptism declares so much about the gospel. I pray that we would not sell it short, that we would understand it in its intricacy and its beauty, but really in its simplicity as it declares the whole story. And Spirit, I pray that you would work in the minds and hearts of each of us today for the Christian, that you would blow fresh wind, flame fresh fire 
with the confession of our soul that we belong to you. That we, we desire to live a life that honors you. That we will walk in the newness of life. And not as people who are oppressed, but a people who have been set free. And Father, for those who have not begun life with you in Christ, I pray this morning, Spirit, would you just would you help their minds to think in a new way and their hearts to feel in a new way about you? Would you open them up to the greatness, the goodness of life in Christ? My confession, I once was blind, but now I see. But as we sang earlier, you're with us in the fiercest battle. That fiercest battle in my life so often is the battle within my own heart. Again and again, forgetting who I am. Again and again, forgetting what I'm here for but you don't even leave me alone in that. You're here supporting me, guiding me, sustaining me, giving me life in my weakest days. And I pray for everyone in this room this morning that we would find life and life in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.